Hello everyone, Pastor Dan here. I'm re-preaching the sermon from January 1st, 2023. I'm doing this to help those who missed out on the sermon because we had troubles with our live stream. And I'd like to have a historical record of all the sermons that I preach here at Northwest Baptist Church. So with that in mind, let's ask God's blessing once again. And he has a reason for us preaching this uh, one more time. And I pray it'll be a blessing to you. Let's pray and ask God's help. Father, we do ask you once again that you would help us now as we open up your word. Do your work in your people. Sanctify us. Draw sinners to repentance. Help us know what we need to know. In your name, amen. Well, we just wrapped up the book of Malachi. And now we come to a new book and a new series that we will begin today in the book of Daniel. Now, in order to stand, understand the context behind Daniel, we have to understand when it takes place. With Malachi fresh on our minds, I want you to turn back the clock 170 years before Malachi. We said that Malachi happens at the end of the Old Testament era. And um, so go back 170 years. Of course, Israel at this time, in the beginning of Daniel, is when they begin their exile from the land. So it's when they leave the land. Malachi is when they had already been back for a hundred years. So all that is necessary to understand what is happening in Israel and Judah at this time. And that's exactly another part. Remember, before the days of Daniel, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. Ten of the tribes formed the northern kingdom, and they're commonly referred to in the Old Testament as the nation of Israel. And the southern kingdom is also referred to as Judah. At this time, the northern kingdom is no more. They have been obliterated by the Assyrian Empire, and that is because of God's judgment and wrath. And this is exactly what's happening now to the nation of Judah. They followed in the footsteps of their brothers to the north. They continued in their idolatry and their wickedness. They worshipped idols. They abused the poor. Their kings were evil. False prophets invaded the land. They had no regard for God or his law. And if you will remember to the days of Malachi, things were not good. I want you to understand that things were even worse during the days of Daniel. In the nation of Judah, there is so much evil, so much wickedness. The hearts of God's people are far from him. So much worse than the days of Malachi. So what did God do to warn his people? You see, God just doesn't bring judgment, which he could and has the right to do every single time. God, by his grace, gives warnings. And to the nation of Judah, he did give this warning. The warning to repent. And he gave it to the prophets who they ignored. One of those prophets is Isaiah. And we see Isaiah's message to the king of Judah in 2 Kings chapter 20. It says in 2 Kings chapter 20 verse 16, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And so in 2 Kings 20, we have a record of one of those warnings God gives to the nation of Judah 
who's King Hezekiah, had received from God's prophet. And Isaiah is warning them from God, unless you repent, God is sending judgment. And when that judgment comes, it will not be pretty. You will be taken away as slaves, as captors to the nation of Babylon, to the empire of Babylon. Your sons and your possessions will go to the king. What was the king's response? Well, in verse 19 of Hezekiah, we see that the king's response is he doesn't care. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, why not? If there will be peace and security in my days. Can you imagine that? The king of Judah knows that troubling days are coming, but he doesn't care because it doesn't happen in his lifetime. And so he's good just to ignore everything, and the wickedness in Judah continues. Well, Isaiah wasn't the only prophet that God had sent to warn them. The other prophet that God had sent was Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 4 and 5, we see a similar warning that God tells them what's about to happen, that he's about to exile from them from the land and great, bring great judgment against them. In Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 4 through 5, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. They shall fall by the sword of their enemies while you look on. And I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. He shall carry them captive to Babylon and shall strike them down with the sword. Moreover, I will give you all the wealth of the city, all its gains, and its prized belongings, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah into the hand of their enemies, who shall plunder them and seize them and carry them to Babylon. God told them exactly what was coming. You have fallen into great wickedness, and now my judgment is coming upon you. You will no longer live in the land. King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, will take it all and take you with him. And guess what? God kept his word. And they did not repent. And so, in Daniel 1, 1, we see God's promise and warning fulfilled to the nation of Judah. Look at Daniel 1.1, and this is exactly where Daniel begins. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, just like God said would happen. The king at that time of Judah, when the invasion took place, was Jehoiakim, and Nebuchadnezzar was the king and emperor of Babylon. Babylon was the global military superpower of its day. They had control of the world. They brought great fear upon many peoples. And you can read more of this invasion and how it all went down in 2 Kings chapter 24 and 25 or in 2 Chronicles 36. So let's examine the book of Daniel for a moment just to see how it's constructed. The book of Daniel has 12 chapters. The first six chapters are made up of narrative surrounding a man named Daniel and his friends as they live as exiles in Babylon. The final six chapters are made up of visions and prophecies that Daniel is given of the future of God's rule and reign. And it is indeed a fascinating book. And really, there are two central themes that are going to be coming fresh to our minds repeatedly as we go through this book. Number one, and one thing we want to continually remember, 
is we are taught how to live as exiles in enemy territory. Daniel and his friends are far from home. They actually love God. But how does one love God when they're far from home? How does one actually love God in a world that hates God? How do they stand for God, obey for God, do what's right, even when the world is telling them to do what's wrong? We could take great application from that, brothers and sisters. And honestly, they probably already felt like exiles as they were already living in Judah as faithful servants of God, but the rest of Judah, their own brothers and sisters, were not. The second theme, which is the subtitle for this series, is the everlasting kingdom. In Daniel, we read about many nations that rule the world, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. The one thing that all these kingdoms have in common is that they all come to a swift end. They don't last forever. And this news would have been so encouraging for the exiles to hear while residing in Babylon. Yes, this Babylonian captivity that you are enduring right now, you're underneath Nebuchadnezzar's rule, but Nebuchadnezzar won't last forever. Neither does your captivity there. And not only does Babylon not last forever, the nations that follow Babylon and the empires that follow Babylon don't last forever. And we're told of one kingdom that does last forever, and it is the kingdom of our God. This would have been great, great encouragement to them. And so, in the book of Daniel, Daniel serves to encourage the exiles in two ways. One, how can you be faithful to God as an exile, far from home, in a world that hates him? And secondly, how can we be encouraged about our current situation and how the current nations and kingdoms don't last forever, but there is a kingdom that does And our kingdom of our God is where we put our hope and trust. So, verse 1 of Daniel chapter 1 begins with the besieging of Babylon. Look at verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. That's Nebuchadnezzar's hand. With some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Notice the language there and how verse 2 begins. Who is it that gives Judah and the king of Judah into the hands of the enemy? It is not Nebuchadnezzar who has a wise military strategy or power and might, which he does. That's not the reason why Judah fell. God is powerful enough to protect his people. But no. Verse 2 says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. God served his own people up on a silver platter to an enemy king, saying, here you go, they are all yours. This attack from Babylon is the judgment of God. It's exactly what the prophets warned those people about for years and years, and they neglected God's word. And Nebuchadnezzar came in, And he took the vessels of the house of God. That's at the temple of God. So you have all the furniture and the treasury of the temple. He took it all, brought it back to Babylon. He took the money. He took the furniture. He took the gold, the prized possessions. And he rededicated those items to his Babylonian gods. Now you say, how could God allow that for his temple? How can God allow that to be true? And... 
Isn't that disrespectful to his name? Actually, this is bringing glory to God's name because Israel wasn't even using those things purely for the name of God. In the temple at this time has all sorts of wickedness. We have prostitution. We have uh, temple orgies going on. We have idols being dedicated in the temple unto God. And in the book of Ezekiel, we see that God's glory departs the temple God wants nothing to do with his temple because of what his people have made it into being. And so he tells Nebuchadnezzar, you could take all this stuff, none of it's for me anymore anyway. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes and he takes the contents of the temple and the money and the judgment of God is unleashed on the nation of Judah. And when the attack comes in, many people die. Many people die and The rest are taken away as captives to Babylon. Now also, we have to understand the historical significance of how this all transpired. Because it didn't just come in in one swift swoop. This attack from Babylon happened actually in three different waves. The first wave happened in 605 BC. Nebuchadnezzar comes to the city, and the city and the king surrender to him. They lose their independence Babylon runs Jerusalem, and that's Jehoiakim that were mentioned in Daniel 1.1. And Judah and the king become like a vassal state to the king. They have to pay a tribute, a tax to him. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't come attack them. They just surrender to him. Well, after a few years, three years to be exact, as Daniel 1.1 tells us, Jehoiakim and the people of Judah rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. They don't want to be a vassal state anymore. And that's when the fury of Nebuchadnezzar is unleashed. And as payback for their rebellion, Nebuchadnezzar takes some of them with him to Babylon. And one of those men that he brought with them was a man named Daniel. There's a second wave that happens. And it happens eight years years later in 597 B.C., Jehoiakim, which is Jehoiakim's son, is set up as king. Well, after a certain time, he rebels against Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar comes in and attacks the city as payback and punishment for their rebellion, and he takes more people away as slaves back to Babylon to show them who's boss and to instill fear into the people of Judah. And a man by the name of Ezekiel, yes, the prophet Ezekiel, is taken in this wave in 597 B.C., And then the third and final wave happened nine years after that, in 586 B.C., or 17 years after the first wave, or after Daniel is taken. And it it is at this time, when they rebel one more time against Nebuchadnezzar, that Nebuchadnezzar comes in and with full power and might and wrath destroys the city completely. He burns the city. He tears down the walls. He tears down the temple stone by stone. And Jerusalem falls with the temple of God and the walls that protected the city. The remaining Jews flee, including a man named Jeremiah. Yes, Jeremiah the prophet. He flees to Egypt against his will and lives there in the third and final wave. But Daniel, just for context, begins with that first wave. It begins with Jehoiakim's rebellion and the first captives going. And this is where we're going to pick up the story of Daniel. 
Look at verse 3. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, four <clears throat> youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And so Nebuchadnezzar, again, in that first wave where he's taking Daniel, he's asking his chief man to go in there and to find him the best of the best people. In that wave of people he takes, he wants the best of the best. Look at the kind of people he's looking for. He's looking for people from the royal family. He wants people who are going to be well-respected in, in, uh, of the Jews that reside in Babylon. He's looking for people of the nobility. This is important, high-ranking class people. And he's also looking for young people. And specifically, what kind of young people? Good-looking young people. He's looking for talented, smart, and they're able to stand before him in, as the king, before the king in his palace. Now, what's Nebuchadnezzar's purpose of bringing the best of the best of the Jews to Babylon and to give them this uh, training? It is for indoctrination. He wanted them to, in a sense, lose their identity. He wants them to lose their Jewishness and become Babylonian. He wanted them to walk like a Babylonian and talk like a Babylonian. He wants them to learn Babylonian literature and Babylonian language. And by the word, the word Chaldean there just means from that same area of the Chaldean region is where Babylon is. And by the way, Babylon is what we know today as modern-day Iraq. And they were also to consume and eat and drink Chaldean Babylonian food so that every part of them would simply vanish of who they used to be. They would no longer be Jewish. They would just melt into being a Babylonian, living far from home. This was a re-education program, an indoctrination program. Look at verse 6. Among these were Daniel. So some of these youths that were taken were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. And so this indoctrination program of helping these Jewish exiles lose their Jewishness and become Babylonian would last three years. And not only would they change their culture and education, but they would also now rename them. And even in their names, they're losing their Jewish identity to the promises of their God. For example, each of these Jewish names have significance. Daniel, for example, means Yahweh is my judge. God is my judge. Baal provides is what they rename him, or Belteshazzar. Hananiah one of Daniel's friends, Hananiah in Hebrew means the Lord is gracious. And they rename him to be Shadrach, which is after the Babylonian god Aku. 
Mishael means who is like the Lord. There's no one like God. Who is like the Lord? And they rename Mishael to be Meshach or who is like Aku. And Aku, again, was a Babylonian god, their moon god. And Azariah, they, uh, that name means the Lord will help. And they rename Azariah to being the servant of Nebo or Abednego. Abednego. Nebo was a servant of Baal. Baal, of course, being a Philistine god, a Canaanite god, a major god that the peoples of the land worshipped during those days. And so here, Nebuchadnezzar goes in, give me your best of the best, bring them in for a three-year training indoctrination program. They're going to lose their Jewishness. They're going to become Babylonians. Forget your name, forget your God, forget your culture. This is brainwashing at its best. That's what's happening. And Daniel and his friends are youths. They're probably teenagers. We're not told exactly their age, but the best guess that most scholars and theologians look at and date and age Daniel to be somewhere between the ages of 14 to 17. Just a very young man. Very moldable, right? And um, you're forming your worldviews greatly at that age. Very influenceable. And Nebuchadnezzar knows what he's doing. And so what do they do? Here Daniel and his friends, they love the Lord. They've been taken away as captives. They're far from home. So when in Rome, you just do as the Romans do, right? You just go with the flow. No. We're going to see that that's not what Daniel and his friends do. But they continue to love God, obey God, serve God, even though they're far from home. And what these Babylonians, what Nebuchadnezzar wants them to do to them is to disciple them. And brothers and sisters, this is something that I think we must understand today. That all of us are disciples. And Yes, I know, Dan. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of Christ. Yes, I know. And by watching this sermon, you are being discipled by me. You are learning and growing and hopefully becoming a better follower of Jesus as well. But we have to understand that discipleship does not stop with Christianity. For we are always being discipled. And this is what the main thrust of this message is about. Who is discipling you? Who are you letting influence you? You see, we may not be like Daniel being taken far from home to another land because we were born here. But in very similar ways, we are like Daniel and his friends because this world is not our home. In one sense, we are exiles far from home who love our God. And now we have a choice to make. You see, the world wants to indoctrinate us into thinking their way. They want us to dress like them, act like them, talk like them. They want us to behave like them. They want us to accept their lifestyles. They want us to accept the way they live and they move and they breathe. And that is very, very dangerous. And it's so easy just to go with the flow. It's so easy just to forget what God has said, forget who we are 
in relationship with our God and what our God has commanded and just go with the flow, just go with the world to be indoctrinated by what they say and what they tell us to do. But this world is not our home. We are born in this world, but we're not of this world. That all changed the moment that we became born again when we placed our faith in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross. That is the gospel. And for all who believe in Him and repent of their sins and trust Him fully, they will be saved. And so when you do that, you become a new creation. You receive the Holy Spirit inside of you. God adopts you into His family. And that changes everything. And now we stand in this world as people who belong to God, people who bear the name of God, and we live in this world, and the world will try to change us to be their way. And once our ways, which is the ways of our God, don't line up with the world's ways, then that's when the trouble comes. That's when the friction comes. And that's where the choice to take a stand and to live what's, and to do what's right will come. And that's when it truly matters. If you don't realize this, you are being duped by the world into believing their lies. How are you being discipled? Some people are being discipled because they can't shut off the evening news. They listen and buy the lies of the news media, which works greatly to manipulate stories and to influence a certain way to think. They just don't report the facts anymore. They actually give their opinions and tell you how you ought to think. And if you don't think the way they think, then something's wrong with you. We're being discipled by social media. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We allow all these ideologies to come. These things are not necessarily wrong. It's not necessarily wrong to be having a Facebook account or, or uh, watch the evening news or stuff like that. You need to be educated. However, how are you being influenced? How do you see the world as a result of being in those things? You see, our filter must always be the Word of God. We cannot interpret the world by the world. We must interpret the world by the Word of God and filter out the junk and the garbage because of what the Bible says. And we're all being discipled. We're all being molded and trained to think a certain way. This is not intentional, but the ways of the world have always been against God. Daniel and his friends did not belong in Babylon. They're not Babylonians. But yet Babylon is trying to make them into Babylonians. And this is what's happening to many of our young people. Parents, we must be careful to guard our children Because we are exiles living in Babylon. The world wants us to be like them. But our God has called us to be holy as He is holy. To think like Him. To act like Him. To obey Him. And not to love the things of this world. We cannot be in love with Babylon. And I'm sure out of that group of people, there were many of those best of the best that were chosen who didn't love God like Daniel and his friends, who were indoctrinated to lose their identity and lose their culture and lose their customs and their faith in their God. And they just went with the program and they were discipled and they became Babylonians. But Daniel and his friends will refuse to do that because they know, I'm not from Babylon. I don't love Babylon. I love my God. I love 
my God. Yeah, the world wants us to acclimate to their standards, accept their definitions. But we must, never be, we must always be careful to never fall in love with Babylon. And yes, Babylon exists today. We just call it the world. And the world, and God's word has many warnings about loving the world. And we talk about the world, we're not talking about the sunrise, the sunsets, the Grand Canyon, <laughs> National Park. We're talking about the systems of the world. We're talking about the sinfulness of the world. We're talking about <clears throat> the um, institutions that the world creates to make us bow the knee to their way of thinking or not. I mean, if you are against abortion and are for saving the lives of babies, all of a sudden you are a misogynist and that you hate women. If you stand for marriage and for um, one, if you stand for marriage between one man and one woman, all of a sudden you're a homophobe. Why? Because they want us to play by their rules. No, we're playing by the rules of our God. And so we must be careful to never bow the knee. We must be careful to never love the things of the world because that's what's happening. And sadly, churches and pastors are caving to it. Even with things like critical race theory. Critical race theory is an invention of the world to help us think about race in a certain way, to redefine certain things a certain way, and to bring on so-called social justice to the table. And we're playing, and when we do those things, we're playing by their standard, their definitions. And if their definitions line up with God's word, then fine, we'll accept it. But we do not accept their standards. We play by different rules. We cannot love this world. This is what the Apostle John warns his readers in 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, and the, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. We must remember that we were made for another world. We must be careful that we are not duped by this present system. Daniel and, his, Daniel and his friends and the rest of the exiles will soon have to learn this lesson. They will be faced with difficult choices. Serve God or serve Babylon. One, it may even cost them their life if they decide to choose God. And that's what we have to face in this life. We have to face the loss of reputation. We may have to face the loss of prestige or influence because we refuse to be Babylonians. We're far from home. We're exiles. This world is not our home. We long for another one because we were made for another one. We were made to live with our God forever and ever. And so John warns his readers to not love the world But how do we do this? How do we live as exiles in this world? It's difficult. It is extremely difficult with temptations and and, uh, ways that are trying to influence and change us in ways that we cannot let happen. But even the Apostle Peter has encouragement for us in this way. For example, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter was writing to his own set of exiles, Jewish Christians that were dispersed around the Roman Empire. And he tells them how to live as exiles. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Peter says this, 
Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What do we do, Peter? We first, to live as exiles, we have to prepare our minds for action. You have to make a determination now of what you will do and what you will not do. What is truth and what is not truth. Prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. It means to be serious. And to set your hope not on the advancement of this world, but where? On the grace that brought you to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yes, our hope is in Christ, not in the systems of this world. He says in verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as you, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. That is what exiles need to hear. Put your hope in God. Don't go back to your former way of life. Trust Christ. Be holy like he is holy. And you do that by preparing your mind. And we're going to see next week that's exactly what Daniel does. When a difficult decision to live like a Babylonian is faced. What does he do? He purposes in his heart, determines in his heart to not defile himself with the king's meat. We'll see that next week. But how do you live as an exile in this world? You have to be ready. You have to prepare your mind for action. Remember the second theme was also hope in an everlasting kingdom. This is something also that Daniel and his friends would always need to remember. And how did they remember that? How did they know that? Well, in the book of Jeremiah, remember Jeremiah was a prophet prophesying at the same time. He leaves in the third wave of exiles. So he's there during the whole time before Daniel leaves, prophesying and preaching against the king and against the ways of Judah. And he prophesies in Jeremiah chapter 24, in verse 1. He says, After Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken into exile from Jerusalem... Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, together with the officials of Judah, the craftsmen and the metal workers, and had brought them to Babylon, the Lord showed me this vision. So this happens after Daniel leaves. God gives Jeremiah this vision of encouragement. He says, here's the vision I had. Behold, two baskets of figs placed before the temple of the Lord. One basket had very good figs, like First ripe figs, but the other basket had very bad figs, so bad that they could not be eaten. And the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? I said, figs. The fig, good figs are good and the bad figs are bad. Very bad, so, so bad they cannot be eaten. Then the word of the Lord came to me. What does this mean, right? Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will regard as good the exiles from Judah 
whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. I will set my eyes on them for good and will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. As God had promised to exile them to Babylon, God is now promising to bring them back. God is promising to be their God, to not give up on them, to not lose hope. Continue doing what you ought to do because there is hope in an everlasting kingdom. So this is where we're going in the book of Daniel. How to live as an exile when you're far from home in enemy territory. When they are training you to be a Babylonian. And secondly, having hope that the, kingdom of these, the kingdoms of this world do not last forever, but the kingdom of our God does. And God has given us promises. Of course, as Christians living today, we're not waiting to go back to the land. We're waiting for something even greater than that. We're, we are waiting the revelation of a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, Peter tells us, in which is inaugurated by the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where when he comes and makes all things new, we will no longer be far from home as exiles. We will be right at home with our God. And he will live with us and dwell with us. And everything is going to be perfect. But in the meantime, we're exiles. In the meantime, while we're hoping and waiting on the promises of God to deliver us from this present evil, we must train ourselves, prepare our minds for battle, Decide to serve God no matter what and to refuse to be discipled by the world. Get in your Bibles. Get in the Word. Get to church. Be with God's people. That's how you live like an exile who belongs to God. So may you know what the Lord would have you do today. One, have hope. And secondly, refuse to be discipled by the world. If any of those ways of your thinking are not aligning with God's word, then repent and get that right and get that settled today. If you're not a Christian today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I plead with you to know that you need him, that you are a sinner who has failed God and stands in judgment. And God has promised for all those who die in their sins that there will be everlasting punishment in hell. Friends, but the good news is that you don't have to go to hell. You don't have to be separated from God. You can know God right now by trusting and believing in Him fully, by admitting that you're a sinner, and by that admittance, trusting in Him, because without Him, you're lost, and you're going to be punished, and you're going to be under God's judgment. But know this, what are you trusting and what are you believing? That Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and that he rose again on the third day. And by trusting in him fully, knowing that it's by his grace that you have been saved, you will be forgiven, you will be adopted, and you will become an exile. Without trust and belief in Jesus, you're not an exile. You're just a Babylonian. But we must trust our God. Well, God bless you. Let me know if I could help you, encourage you, or answer any of your questions, especially if you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let, let, let me pray for you. 
Father, help us now as we conclude this message. Thank you again for the opportunity to re-preach this. And I pray that it would be a blessing to all those who have heard it. Use your word dramatically in our hearts. And God, help us as we go forward in this book of Daniel, knowing how to live as exiles and to have hope in an everlasting kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.